Good morning. Welcome to the show and um, hope y'all are doing well out there. I know we are paying attention to COVID and the impacts of the vaccines uh, that, uh, you know, seem to be stabilizing at least uh, the deaths that we uh, have been, you know, kind of scared of for a long time. It looks like um, even where we're peaking, we're not peaking in death. So that 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 means that that's a good things are happening. So I just want to continue to encourage everybody to, you know, get vaccinated, um, to continue to social distance where where necessary, wear your mask because we're not yet out of this thing and it's going to take us banding together. Uh, to get back to where we were. And I actually think that's possible. Um, Special show because I don't think we've had a principal, a school principal on our show ever. I I, I don't know why. (laughs) You know, we've had the big dogs. We've had the school board members, the superintendents. Um, I mean, but the principals are the ones who are really on the ground doing the day-to-day. So I wanted to bring one of my favorite principals, and this is, you know, somebody who we've read about, we see her, she's been active, very active when it came to COVID, very active when it came to vaccines, um, and now she's got a new title um, to go along with being just principal of the year <laughs> that I, I made that up but 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 to go with being principal of the year she was appointed by the governor to serve on our children's service council y'all remember that controversial issue from about a year ago <laughs> actually longer than that but uh she's uh one of our representatives on the children's service council so i wanted to talk to her about that and other things so um i y'all i didn't i didn't even say her name yet but principal carmen connor is on with us today principal connor how you doing i'm great thank you for having me today well thank you and welcome to the show i do want to start with just you know we we've been going through this school year y'all have been um, doing well with covid and well, not with COVID, but adapting to COVID. And at, we're winding down here in Leon County. How has the year been for you and the students at Pineview? You know, this school year has gone surprisingly very well. You know, preparing for this school year to start, we were all nervous about, you know, COVID and the possibility of it coming on campus. So we've done a lot of things on the front end to ensure that we have the safest campus possible. But most of all, the kids have been resilient. You know, we thought it would be an issue with kids keeping their masks on or keeping their hands in certain on certain things and spreading germs. We haven't had that as an issue at all. And our kids, our teachers, and our support staff have been absolutely amazing from day one. And it's made life really um, quite normal around here, you know, considering 
And when you hear in other states, I have friends that are all across the country and they're just getting back to school. And we've been doing this for a while now and we've been doing a great job at it. But it's because of awesome parents that are, you know, telling their kids what to do and how to behave. But also these teachers that are here, you know, providing quality instruction, but keeping our kids safe at the same time. Well, Principal Connor, I, it's funny, though, and you'll remember from the, the reopening task force, and I remember quite an argument about whether or not uh, kids would wear their masks. But, you know, it's been interesting because I've got three little ones and their mask is just a part of their uniform now. I mean, it's other than just losing them all the time. We have to keep buying them. <laughs> I should have got into the mask business because buying them all the time. But is that your experience at Pineview as well, that, that kids really adapted well to that specific piece of this? Absolutely. And that was one of the things that we were so worried about. Would they be able to keep their mask on all day? And although we do have mask breaks, um, I would say 95% of our students show up every single day and they keep their masks on, but they show up with their own mask. But we have a, a plentiful amount of masks just in case they don't have theirs. So we have all ends covered. But most of all, I would say kudos to our students for just being resilient and making masks a part of their daily fashion. And they come in all different <laughs> all different patterns and, and really cool things I've seen. So the kids have been great. Well, this past week was a big statewide text for our students, right? Uh, um, how did uh, how did y'all handle that under? Uh, so this actually this would be the second test under COVID, though, right? No, this is our. So last year uh, we didn't take it at all. So this was our first round just this week. So we started with our third grade ELA and our fourth and fifth grade writing test, and you know at in our in our environment here you would not know that there was a difference between this year or 2019 for example wow. and it's because of the resiliency of the kids we've started from day one teaching just as we normally have and um, the kids have assimilated to that and the coolest part is that you know as I walked through the school as they were taking their tests and they were all how can I say they were all focused they were seated at attention and they were working their very best up into the last minute of testing, which makes me really proud and happy. The hard part is, um, I guess the challenge will be next week when we start to test our digital kids. You know, we have at this very moment, we have about 70-ish kids that are still working at home digitally. And the expectation is that these kids will come in and test. So that's the hard part. Um, you know, will they come? Uh, will they give their very best? That's that's the iffy part. But the kids that have been here and the start has been, you know, quite normal. And I'm very appreciative of that. But I think that goes to the teachers for preparing our kids just from day one. Well, and, and, and definitely kudos to your teachers. We're going to talk about them some more later because we, we cannot leave those professionals out of this equation of winning COVID, right? Uh, but right. so let's but, but let's back up. Uh, so you, you're saying that the digital students now, are they going to have to show up to take the test or will they take it digitally as well? Right. So there is not an option for them to take it digitally. So all students will have to show up in person to take the test. So as so we at our every school is different how they get their schedule, but they widen the testing windows wider than normal. 
And so we started off this week with our brick and mortar students and testing like normal. So next week we have sent home, well, about two weeks ago, we sent home letters to all of the families that will be testing digitally. And we also made phone calls to say, hey, don't forget that you'll be testing on this particular day. And the expectation is that these students will come to school, be socially distanced, and they'll test just like their counterparts did last the previous week. So, you know, with that, I'm hopeful that they show up um, and, and demonstrate what they know and what they've learned from home. But the hard part about that, what I was saying before, is that we don't have a lot of control over what happens at home and if they're going to come in. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm hopeful that they'll come, but I, I, I really don't know what to expect. Well, I hope they come, too. But I got to tell you, what's on my mind right now is how hard it was initially when our kids had to be home and trying to do it digitally and man it was so hard to have them keep up Uh, i mean it was just difficult the distraction trying to be focused and i can tell you i noticed uh, that our kids were just a little behind and when once they went back to school they were just a little behind and and so i i I would be interested in seeing the results of the of the digital kids versus the kids who actually went to school all year. And and I hope it turns out that that there isn't, um, you know, a reduction in their performance. I hope not. But but I just would think that you're you're a professional in this in education. You're a principal. Is that a fear? Oh, absolutely. And see, what we contend with here is that we have at our school, we had about a third of our kids to start off the school year, but two thirds of the kids were at home. And the hard part was that many of them came back at various points in the school year. So um, the first nine weeks, we had a group to come in. We had about 40 kids to come in at that point. And then for the second nine weeks, we had kids trickled in here and there. So everybody's learning was at a different pace. And the hard part is that some of our kids just were not successful learning at home because it is a difficult task. And, you know, when you add on the factor of families having more than one child in various grades and the parent being the teacher and keeping everybody's schedule. <laughs> Listen, it was, it was hard. I, I couldn't even get my kids onto the vert to the digital thing, man. I was uh, my wife had to come from Atlanta to make it happen the first week. I just couldn't get them on. So the kids are great. It's the parents. We, yeah. you know, we, we, anyway, we, we won't go there. But yeah. so. It was hard. <laughs> it, it, it was hard. We, we have a lot of um, families that are large families that were trying to do this at home. And they finally said, okay, we've tried, but we're going to go ahead and send them on back. But having those varying degrees of when they came back, like you were saying, you know, when they come back, they were a little behind. But just imagine the kid that missed the whole first semester of this school year, not to mention the last nine weeks of last year. They, they've lost three-fourths of their school. And then, you know, we're, you know, we're stuck with having to keep teaching who we have, but also getting our kids that have just returned all caught up. So it's... It's been an arduous task, and you know, to answer your question, we will see a a a widening of the of the learning gap that that already exists, particularly in my school. Many of our kids, um, I, I can give you like a brief understanding of our school is that forty to fifty percent of our students enter kindergarten and they've never been in school before. 
as a result, that means they're one to two years behind when they start. That's right. And so that is a continuation of trying to catch them up throughout the school year. Added on this COVID um, era of time, that adds again onto how that gap is widening. So that is something we're going to have to contend with in the future as to how do we narrow that gap and what types of interventions we're going to put in place to to ease that in the future. Wow. Listeners, if you're just tuning in, I am talking to Pine View Elementary uh, Principal. Uh, Carmen Connor, and we're talking about a bunch of things, but uh, but but she just took us through how they have been handling uh, COVID and testing under COVID, and the difference between the kids that are in school physically and and the digital aspect, and and how the the test, the Florida, what is it, the FSA, what is it called, the Florida. What is it called? Florida standards and standards. Okay, so that thing. Um, <laughs> uh, so she's been taking us through it, y'all. But Principal Connor, I, I know it was recently announced that you are a member of the Leon County Children's Service Council. Well, first of all, congratulations for that. A lot of folks wanted to be a part of that for good reason, uh, and you're one of the ones that 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 made it. So congratulations uh, for our listeners, though, who who may have missed <laughs> the long conversation community conversation about the children's service council tell us what the goal of the council is and well how did you find yourself to be a part of it okay so the the ultimate goal is to provide or to invest our, our the, the taxes that will be used for this to invest in prevention and early intervention programs for children and their families so it's not just about one sector of a community, it's about the community as a whole and how to help children and their families to, to ensure that they have the best scenario to be the best citizens that they can be. Um, for, for me, I learned about this about two years ago and it was more about educating myself as a, as a, as a citizen so that I would know how to vote. And I'll never forget, I was in a, um, a, a luncheon that Daryl um, Jones hosted for Title I Schools. And at that luncheon, um, Virginia Daly was there and she shared, that was the first time that I heard about it. She talked about Children's Services Council in other um, counties in Florida. I'm like, oh, that's pretty interesting. I've never heard of it. And that was my, that piqued my interest. And from that, I was very interested just to say how I would vote, yes or no for it. And then from there, I thought this would be really cool because as a principal, this is what I see firsthand. Whenever, when you think about a Title I school, the direct impacts of students and their learning, I see that. But also when children don't have exactly what they need, I see what the effects are and how much energy and money it takes to correct it. So I'm thinking, and my hope is that the Children's Services Council will address these um, issues for kids in our city. Wow. So, and, and, and you know, I, there are other areas that have it, as you mentioned, and they love it. Um, mm-hmm. So we're hoping for great things. Have y'all gotten to work yet? No, it's, it's just getting started. I was, you know, I didn't, I knew it was a, a, a very important thing because it, 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 it's, it's, helping um, to help tons of people and it's a lot of money that's involved in that but I didn't know it was like the way it is so I've had to um, 
fill out certain disclosures and, and fill out an oath and all that good stuff. So after that, the paperwork process is done, we'll be able to meet publicly. Um, so it, we haven't met yet, but that's the next step. Everyone has to finish all that paperwork. Yeah, well, um, I, I think... I think your expertise is going to be very important to that. I mean, I saw the list of, of great uh, servants on uh, that were appointed, but I really think you have a unique perspective to bring to this. And, and I'm excited that you're there because, you know, when we talk about resources, um, you, you are the principal of a title one school. And when we talk about lack of resources, um, you might be an expert in that. <laughs> I hate to say it that way. Uh, yeah. But yeah. but do you do you feel like your perspective as a principal from a Title One school will will um, be a valuable asset to that organization? Absolutely. And and the reason why I say that and feel so strongly about that, I have come from non Title One school experience, so. I was a teacher at Hawks Rise for 14 years, and I was the assistant principal at Roberts for seven years. And at schools like those on the northeast side of town, um, they get the same type of funding, the base funding that it takes to run a school and to employ the teachers and staff at the school. But that extra piece that many of our schools need is easy to come by in a school like that because they can do fundraisers. So an example would be um, at Roberts, we had annually we would have a fun run, and within a week, the school could raise a hundred thousand dollars. Whoa! In schools like mine, wow. we can't have fundraisers like that, and we don't. Well, have well you can you can have them. <laughs> you can have the fundraiser. Yeah, we just <laughs> but, won't get the money. But the You're decimal right. point, the decimal point being a different place. Exactly. But 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 and, and but Principal Connor, you know, and I don't want to be and I'm sorry to 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 interrupt you there, but I, I really want people to understand why it's difficult. Right. And and it's it's, it's difficult because you're different dealing with a different um, a parent that has different obligations, responsibilities and abilities. Mm -hmm. Right. Level mm -hmm. of resources. I mean, you may right. have parents who uh Go to one job, come home and change for another job and may not Absolutely. know what's going on at the school, may not be able Absolutely. to make it to a PTA meeting, may not be able to make it uh, to a volunteer event at the school. They barely can make it to go pick the kids up. Right. So Absolutely. so getting them focused in. And, and then it's about having the resources to be able to use that they have discretionary income that they can contribute. Absolutely. And, you know, on that note, too, you know, thinking about my experiences at um, Hawks Rise as a teacher, because of the parents, um, of, of, you know, they're able to afford the best of the best preschools. And so the children come to school prepared. They're already reading in most cases in kindergarten when they enter school. But here, like I told you, 40 to 50 percent of our kids have never been to school and they already start far behind their counterparts. And yeah. so something just as simple as as preschool and having that foundational knowledge between, you know, birth and five years old is is life changing. 
And those are the kinds of things that I can see that would make a huge impact and a great difference in our city if we're looking at, you know, if we're focusing on things like that. And that's just something that we just don't have the luxury in, in Title I schools as our, our counterparts do. Well, I'm on and on about that. One. Well, and I'm and I'm glad you're sitting there on that council, so you can go on and on because I think others need to realize that these it's not that these parents care less; they don't. Mm-hmm. They care just as much, and they want the schools that their kids attend to that they that they attend to have the ability to do the same things that the more affluent schools are able to do it's a reality it's a reality that 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 um the situation occurs the way it does but but I see this council as an opportunity to try to level the playing field and try to help these schools with the things, the extra things that 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 help these kids get ready for school, survive and thrive while they're there and be prepared for these standardized tests and ultimately graduate and become an important and incredible part of our society. So, so I'm glad you're sitting there. Hey, listen, before we go, though, I want to say a couple things. One, I want to agree with you that we're going to owe a lot of winning during COVID to these resilient kids. Right. I mean, they just said, tell us what to do. (laughs) We got this. Uh, They didn't worry like we were all the, the older, the grown folks were worried. And they didn't get preoccupied with it. They were just like, all right, well, where's the mask? I got it. And where where do you want me to right. sit? Okay, I'll sit over there. Oh, right. you want me to do this from home? Okay, I got that. I got um, so they're gonna be the real heroes and sheroes for a great part of this. But I wanna say something about your teachers and the people that for a long time nobody was talking about. <laughs> nobody was trying to protect. And I, I got to say to them, and you said it earlier, I applaud them. I applaud them for still coming to work, for still uh, making sure our kids had um, instruction, you know what, and just helping to fight through this thing. And as a principal, you're not you're not immune to any, any of it. You see it all, too. And the folks that clean up your classrooms and yeah. do the groundwork. But all those folks that we don't always get a chance to talk about, would you go back and tell them from the Sean Pittman show that we just say thank you? Absolutely. Absolutely. These are just, I work with some of the most amazing people. And the cool part about the, the, staff, the faculty and staff that I work with is that you say, okay, we're going to do A, B, and C. And they wait and they say, well, is there anything else you need us to do? Every single time. Wow. And that is just, you, you can't, I just, you can't even put a value on that. It's just priceless to be able to work with people that want to give their very best but are willing to give even more. So uh, it's a blessing to be here, to work with these wonderful people and our, our little friends, our little students. But these teachers, this is what makes the world go around here. And our world and, and our little slice of, of the community has been wonderful. It's been positive. Kids are learning, and 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 I'm happy that we were able to start the school year. We're almost getting close to the end of the school year, but we've had an awesome time, and I'm, it's just been a pleasure to be around such awesome people to make this work. Because I really thought the school was going to shut down at any second. I'm thinking they're going to shut the whole city down again. You know, 
because I thought, you know, the, the numbers would rise when, when everyone returned back to school, but it didn't. And they have been just the best ever. Well, listen, uh, school board member Daryl Jones told me that you were going to be the most incredible guest we've ever had. And uh, uh, he said it. I didn't say it, uh, but I'm saying it now. We appreciate you coming on this show and you you have a lot to say. And we appreciate you coming here to say it. Uh, listen, our, our, our kids are our future. And uh, that's that's a, that, it sounds cliche, but it actually happens to be true. And uh, so thank you for all you do for them. And uh, listen, if we could ever do something, let us know. All right. Well, thank you so much. And this was really fun. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for coming on the show. Listener, stay with us. We'll come back with a short Pittman point. It's, this one going to be a hard one for me, y'all. Um, um, we're going to talk about Congressman Al C. Hastings, who, who we lost last week. Hold on. We'll be right back right after this. Listening to the Sean Pittman Show. It's time for Pittman's Point. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Listen, y'all, this week, uh, Florida lost a giant, a giant of a man with the passing of U.S. Congressman Al C. Hastings. And y'all, for 30 years, uh, nearly 30 years, Congressman Hastings served with distinction, honor, and a tireless energy that, that few could and have matched. And I've been able to, to, to watch him thrive and lead for a very long time and having a personal relationship through our fraternity. Uh, this one was tough, y'all. I thought it was tough when I lost my barber of 30 years uh, just a week earlier. But to have Congressman Al C. Hastings follow Jerry Grice and y'all, it's just been it's been a rough couple weeks. Al C. Hastings, um, gone now. Throughout the past few days, uh, a lot of kind words have been pouring out from the congressman's friends and supporters. Uh, memories of his service as a civil rights attorney, a judge, um, Florida senior member of Congress. Uh, they've been shared and his reputation has been honored. Uh, I, Senator um, Chevron Jones from the district where the congressman served said uh, the congressman was a spoke spokesperson for many, not just the black community, uh, but the Jewish community. And he was able to resonate with so many people because he told the undoctored truth. And that if you know him, you know that that is true. Uh, go to the other side of the aisle. Senator Marco Rubio said Florida has lost one of the, its most prominent and passionate public servants and noticed that Congressman Hastings advocacy against civil rights injustices and his time in Congress as a whole was an inspiration. You know, the true measure of this man, uh, this fierce advocate for what he believed in, um, again, in the words of those who found themselves on the other side of some of the debates and policies discussions, like a Marco Rubio and like a Congressman Mario Diaz Ballard, uh, who shared that Congressman Hastings was more than a colleague. He was a dear friend. Uh, he was a dear friend of mine and in my family. Uh, I am truly heartbroken by the passing. Goodbye, my dear friend. And there was there were others. Uh, Senator uh, Perry Thurston. Uh, County Commissioner Dale Holness, former Senator Chris Smith, uh, Representative Bobby DeBose, so many. Ramon Alexander, he was loved by so many. Uh, if anyone needs proof 
of the profound impact of Congressman Hastings and the impact he had on this state and its people, they need to look no further than, as I said a few minutes ago, the words of the opposition party. At a time, y'all, when politics is more divided than ever, Congressman Hastings proved that with grit, character, compassion, and a good sense of humor, we can still find some common ground uh, in uncommon times. So as Andrew Gillum said recently, rest in power, Congressman. And this has been the Sean Pittman Show. Uh, We'll see y'all in seven.